Welcome to the Review Name Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. Today on the show, we're going to be doing a news roundup as usual. We're going to be playing a game of pop culture, Never Have I Ever. And we're going to be talking about the biggest news story of the week, the announcement that J.J. Abrams will be directing Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, before we get into that, let's go around the room. Sit with me on the show today, I have Sam. Hello. Alex. Hello. And Chris. Yo. So stick with us throughout the hour, and uh, I think we're going to have some fun. Um, why don't we start off the news roundup by going to Sam, who's going to tell us a little bit about uh, Jonathan Colton's controversy with Glee. Sam? Well, if you're like me, you have not heard about Jonathan Colton until this week. But apparently Glee, a show I haven't watched since I think its first season, maybe a little bit into its second season, Glee uh, covered his cover of Baby Got Back and are doing so without paying him any sort of royalties. Now, apparently, they're able to do this legally because, I think because it's a cover of a cover, they're able to get away with it. And basically, they told him, uh, guess what? You're going to get some free publicity, but nothing else. So I think... Go ahead. Uh, do, you know, do you know if they credited him? They did no, not they, credit they him did not accredit him oh, anyway. Oh, wow. Damn. They didn't even throw him a credit at the end. Um, so basically, a lot of people... Do they within... usually do that with the songs that they use? Did they just not do it this time? <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch no, the show. They so do not usually yeah. credit anyone who, with, whose songs they use. But I think when they're not doing a cover of a cover, it's usually easier to figure out, like, oh, this is this right. person's song. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so this has kind of been an issue that a lot of people in music and just people who are creative artists have kind of rallied around because Glee is definitely in the wrong here. I mean, they should, you know, he should be paid for his work. And at the very least, he should be given credit for his work. What, um, what's shocking to me, I think, uh, I was listening to the two versions of this before we were going to do the segments. And they literally like, there's at one point in which uh, in the Colton, the original Colton version, he says, you know, Johnny C, like his own name as part of the lyrics in the Glee cover. They also say Johnny C, which I don't know if that's the character's name on Glee as well. Or if they just literally word for word took his his song, they um, were too lazy to like change out the initials for whoever was actually singing the song. Right, that's just sad. But like, if you listen to both versions, it's it's virtually identical. It's not like oh, it sounds kind of similar to his cover. It's like someone heard his cover and just did it. I think this is just continuing the narrative of Glee being basically evil for a show that supposedly champions, you know, the people who get picked on or the people who are kind of outcasts. It's kind of a bullying show, and its showrunner, uh, Ryan Murphy, kind of historically picks fights with artists who kind of, that, like, refuse to have their songs on the show. It's kind of bullyish, I think. And especially for the show it claims to be, it's particularly annoying, I Yeah, think. Um, considering yeah. It's, it's got a narrative about, like, championing the underdogs... And, Is you it? Know, sure. Is that, that, I mean, it's... I it used to when I watched the show in its first season. Anyway, <laughs> I mean the show's the show's anthem was "Don't Stop Believing," and the show ostensibly was about how these the kids in the Glee Club they would always get like shit poured on them, and they'd be made fun of, and some of them would be gay, and they'd be treated like shit. And now the show itself has is treating artists like shit, which is kind of problematic. It's not only a terrible show, but it's also kind of an evil show. 
Glee is full of Nazis. Um, is there anything else we want to want to say on this? Board <laughs> that escalated on? quickly, Jordan. <laughs> I thought that was a perfectly within realm uh, analogy to make. Is that is that overboard? A little bit. Well, yes. Maybe a scotch. <laughs> okay. Do we uh, know if it's keeping its numbers? Is it still the ratings juggernaut it was at? Probably its, not. Um, I mean, outside? I'm sure yeah. it does fine. I, I can't yeah, imagine it is though. It's not. It's not a part of the the zeitgeist like it was. Uh, a few years ago. I think, yeah, I don't yeah, hear about well. it as much as I used to, I feel like. Well, I think that, like, for in terms of its quality backslide, I, I think yeah. a lot of the, the critical community, and, you know, I include us in that quote-unquote because we write reviews and pretend at least that we're part of a critical community, even though we're all amateurs. Um, we kind of stopped giving a shit about it in season one. Uh, and a lot of the, like, you know, a lot of the entertainment outlets that I follow particularly closely seems to stop caring about it all that much in season one because by the end of season one it was clear that the show was not going to be anything interesting from a quality perspective and that for the most part it was going to be you know if you like the songs you'll enjoy it but if not it's not going to do much for you um but i think i think people outside of that community and television fans um i think there was supposedly a quality drop in season two and the show maybe got a little bit better again in season three is what i've heard from other people who watch the show is that what uh, we're on right now, season three? I think we're on four right now. Four, okay. They they have to graduate high school at some point. Well, they, they have. They have. They have. They, oh. I, think they're, right. I think they're following, like, characters outside of high school. Yeah, I think the show, what, I, I don't watch it, so correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but I believe the show splits its time between the Glee Club at the high school and its former members who are now, like, in New York City, I think. Okay. Uh, that sounds like a recipe for success right there. But anyway, I think, like... There is a consensus among even people who don't really care about uh, television criticism that the show was not very good for a while during its run, and yeah. that's kind of when it slipped out of the out of the cultural zeitgeist. Okay. But I'm not sure anyway. Um, What's weird is when it started, it had like it was like a comedy way back. Like it had it was kind of funny at the beginning. Yeah. It was, what I liked most about Glee when it started, well, one of the things I liked most about it when I was reviewing for the first season for Review Names was it was like it was not just a comedy but also like an incredibly filthy edgy comedy a lot of the time like it got away with things that i was surprised network tv was even trying to do um and then it stopped doing that Uh, well i think it has it had like three showrunners right it kind of had a weird identity crisis yeah um and i think ryan murphy just ended up kind of winning that struggle I don't even know if the other two showrunners are still there, but you never hear about them when I read about the show now. I only hear about no, Ryan it, Murphy. No, I mean, it really seems to be, it's like, it's like Ryan Murphy's show. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate because of the three showrunners, back when I was paying attention to it, Ryan Murphy was always my least favorite. And I thought he was doing the things that were the least interesting with the show. Mm. Alright, well, I we don't care about Glee and probably won't for a while so no but um if nothing else i think this talking about this has given us a moment to say like sorry jonathan colton you should get credit and if yeah. you listen to uh the podcast and you don't care about glee but you do care about artists getting credit maybe go check out jonathan colton i like the stuff of his that i've checked out since learning about this and maybe you guys should uh should check it out and you'd enjoy it as well so there's that if nothing else maybe that could be the silver lining from this is that people who are kind of pissed off about this will give him kind of a boost after this right, I would like, like it, that to see that happen I would like for that to be the narrative rather than I'd like that to be the narrative bastards. unless that also gets turned around by Glee to say like see he did get publicity oh no I could see that yeah 
So it's a it's a little bit of a you know a mixed bag, if you will. Uh, yeah. So no one go listen to his music. Yeah, no one. We don't to his want Glee to win. To defeat. Glee. Listen to his music, but do it in secret and in a way that can't be like traced back to. Here, yeah, sure, there like, you go. Go buy his album, but don't tell anyone you bought his album. Yeah. And definitely not because of the Glee thing. No, don't, a, don't buy it. Steal his album. Go steal his album. I have a question for you guys. Do it in secret. Had any of you guys heard of this guy before this thing? I, yeah, I actually had. I've heard this cover before. I've heard is, of him. I had not heard the cover or any of his stuff. Um, but I've now, like, gone and checked out some of his stuff. Um, and I like what I hear. Um, and, you does know. He more, is he more of a YouTube-type musician, or is he just, like, a normal, I release albums real musician. tour musician? No, he's a musician. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a real working artist. Um, okay. Not to, you know... <laughs> Insult sorry, anyone YouTube. who's ever done anything on YouTube. God, I sorry, Jack. <laughs> um, but no, he does. He does release albums and tour. Um, I haven't listened to too much of his stuff yet, but I, I plan to give him give him a little bit more attention now. Although my music listening schedule is fairly full at the moment, so we'll see if that actually happens in the near future. I, I can honestly say, I will not. All right. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about with Jonathan Colton and Glee before we move on? Fuck Glee, everybody. Stop watching Glee. That's the best way to help Jonathan Colton. Well, that's not true, but it's probably the best way to help feature artists. <laughs> no, it's seriously. Colton's financials are tied up in watching Glee. <laughs> he's, he's got, like, a short on Glee's failure. I think yes. this would be a um, good time to plug our spinoff podcast, Finances with Sam Lindauer. <laughs> time to, it would be so the best slash worst show about finances. Sam, Sam would be like, so uh, these are the types of coins that I have in my house at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Quarters. <laughs> Nickels. The podcast is four hours long every week. Dimes. Hey, I got a, I got like a piggy bank full of coins. I can count that on air. It's like, the, it's like the This American Life parody on The Simpsons where it's like, this week on the show. Yeah, condiments. Uh, co- uh, coins in four acts. Act one, quarters. Act two, <laughs> pennies. Act three, dimes. Well, if we can pull the numbers that the This American Life podcast pulls, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> someday, someday. Sam, we pull a, we pull such a small fraction of that that I don't know how to calculate it. I'd like well, to think that we're taking to Sam's listeners podcast, away. Yeah, maybe like he math too. Sam we're should do a podcast away from This American Life. Convincing us to, uh, or calculating our analytics on the air on his yeah. podcast. Uh, okay, I think things have gotten a little off the rails. We're going to move on. And I'm going to talk about the fact that Paul Thomas Anderson has announced that he is directing an adaptation of Thomas Pynchon's Inherent Vice, and it looks like it's going to be starring Joaquin Phoenix. Um, there are a lot of reasons to be excited about this. Uh, those of you who are not familiar with Pynchon's Inherent Vice, which is an amazing book and you should go read it, uh, even if you're afraid of Thomas Pynchon, which is a reasonable attitude, Inherent Vice is easily his most readable book, and it's awesome. Basically, it's a, a set in the late 60s. It's a psychedelic noir following a detective who um, gets caught up in all sorts of uh, different ins and outs of a very complex case involving a secret organization of dentists. Um, the best way I described it to people who have never read Thomas Pynchon, um, and I was trying to sell it to, is it's sort of like the Big Lebowski if the dude was living in the 60s and actually a detective. Um, Thomas Pynchon has, has a sort of similar sense of humor to that, sort of a, a goofy uh, hangdog intention with, with the whole thing. It's, it's a whole lot of fun. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, will be an amazing choice for this because the guy does not make bad movies, and I love the source material. 
And while I'm not a huge Walking Phoenix fan, by a long stretch, my favorite Walking Phoenix performance was in The Master with Paul Thomas Anderson directing him. So, pretty much, I want this movie to happen right now, and I could not be more excited about it. This is a project that I'll be following and salivating over until it comes out. Um, anyone else have anything they feel like they want to say about that? Um, do you think Joaquin's a good choice for this character? I heard he replaced Robert Downey Jr. He did, and I think That's Robert upsetting. Downey Jr. is the more obvious <laughs> yeah. choice. Um, and I don't think Joaquin Phoenix would be my choice for it, because, like I said, I'm not a huge Joaquin Phoenix fan as a rule. Um, and I think that he... I think he's a little bit more methody and and you know likes to add a lot of dramatic heft to every one of his performances in a way that won't necessarily fit with the character but if paul thomas anderson thinks he can pull it off i trust him well i trust i'll see it no matter what i'm sure yeah and i mean it's the thing is like usually paul thomas anderson in fact to this to date all of his movies have been you know i guess there will be blood is nominally based on oil but for the most part, they're all original screenplays um, that have come entirely from the head of Paul Thomas Anderson. Mac yeah, Williams I mean, I think there will be blood. It was, songs. There will be blood was like barely based on it, though. Right. It was like I mean, if you if you've read Oil, it's like maybe based on the first like chapter or two of the book. I, I read it years ago, but I, I remember there's very uh, very little actual connection, and it's mostly an original screenplay. So that'll be interesting, if nothing else, to see what he does with a more established work. But it also gives you some idea of what the, the movie will look like. And Inherent Vice is a great book, so I imagine it's going to be a phenomenal movie. Hooray! Yay! Yeah, I think we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on this. It's just something to be really excited about. And if you haven't read the book, um, I would recommend it. So go check that out. Yeah, but it'll spoil the movie. Oh, I hate you. (laughs) Um, Yes, and Thomas Pinch is actually writing a new book right now, which is incredibly fast considering Inherent Vice only came out four years ago and the man usually takes forever to write books. Um, so if you're pension fans, that's also a thing that's coming down the pipeline, though who knows when. Uh, now why don't we turn things over to you, Chris, and you're going to tell us a little about a new pilot NBC has ordered. Okay, so uh, one of my uh, favorite comics right now, a comic called The Sixth Gun, the Sixth Gun from Oni Press, uh, just got a pilot order from NBC for a proposed television adaptation. Uh, Carlton Cuse of Lost Fame is going to be producing... And he's already doing a couple things right now. He's doing uh, the Bates Motel on A&E, and um, he's got a project that might be coming out at FX later this month, um, or later this year, I think. But um, this it's, it's a great series. It's basically, the comic is sort of a horror western. Uh, the idea is it takes place, uh, it, it centers around these six weapons, uh, which can give whoever has them powers, basically. And if you possess all six guns, you are basically unstoppable and can kind of just reshape the world however you want. So everyone is trying to find these weapons and bring all of them together so that they can do terrible things. Um, it's, I think, about 25, 26 issues in right now. I'm not sure how long it's going to be in total, but it, it's it's exciting to me because this is exactly... a the kind of comic that I think would make for a very exciting television adaptation. I mean, in addition to, I, I believe you can never have enough good Westerns on TV, but that, this one is very unique in the sense that um, there's a lot of horror mythology in there. There's um, zombies, monsters from various types of folklore pop up all the time. Uh, 
And it's there's just a really huge, rich mythology to it that I think could really be um, mined for many, many seasons of great television. Uh, as for NBC picking it up, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I think we all kind of agree that NBC doesn't have the best track record right now. They're going through a little bit of a network identity crisis. Uh, and I don't feel as secure about them picking it up as I would have in years past. Because honestly, I really, aside from their comedies, NBC really is not making great television right now. And I can't really think of the last great drama that was on NBC. But on the other hand, I don't know if a network with a lesser budget could actually handle this show. So I think it's a bit of a mixed bag in that respect. Do, do we know anything about Showrunner? Not yet. Uh, Carlton Cuse will executive produce, okay. um, and that's the only word on who's involved talent-wise at this point. So, I mean, if, for fans of Lost, Cuse is a well-known name. and Well, hopefully um, he picks good people. I mean, that's yeah. all we can expect out of a producer, right? So Absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to Bates Motel, so, I mean, he's still got my eye. I'm kind of not looking forward to that. Really? <laughs> well, it's just like it's it, it takes play. It's it's not really a prequel to Psycho. Like yeah. it doesn't really exist anywhere in its existence. So what is the point of the show? I don't understand. Is it like Psycho never happened? Is it before Psycho? It's supposed to be like a reimagining like a... of Psycho. Yeah, like... I don't want a reimagining of Psycho. <laughs> Gus Van Sant did that shit, and it was stupid. Hey, you sound right there, Sam. I don't no, want a reimagining. A <laughs> I don't want to reimagine a, a classic reimagine movie. Why do we need I'm this? Completely ignore Why do we need hotels. this? Um, we've already gotten a little off topic of what we were talking about, to but I plan to completely ignore ignore yeah. Bates Motel um, and pretend that it never existed. I'm not against like remakes and reimaginings, but if there's a reason, like if there's a reason to do it, fucking go for it. Go balls to the wall. Make Batman again. Reboot it because you know what? That's the type of thing you can always you reboot and you can reimagine. It's like, we're going to take Psycho and do it over again. For no reason. Uh, people like that movie, right? Let's do it again. Um, Fucking waste of my time. That was the conversation so, in the studio. I'd like to think they're all as wackily voiced. So before that. we move on, and I'm going to just put us back on track a little bit here. Um, Chris, yeah. do you think that NBC is, is not the right choice for this? Is, is Are there content restrictions? I The Six Gun is on my to-do list because you keep talking about it so highly. Uh, I have not read it yet. Are there content things that you're worried about, or is it just the fact that NBC doesn't have a great track record right now? It's mostly the fact that NBC doesn't have a great track record. I mean, it, The Sixth Gun is not overly... It, it's violent, but there's ways you could present that on television and shoot around that, and it, it's more dark than actually, like, possessing graphic content that would not be able to be presented on network television. If NBC is okay to go dark with it, and it's not even, I think, as dark as, say, The Walking Dead is... Uh, so I don't think that they're going to be censored in any way. My concern is more, I, I, I think that the recipe for success would be sticking as cl close to like the spirit of the work as possible. And I don't know that NBC is the network where that would happen. And this is a show that I would feel much better about if it had been picked up by FX, for example. Exactly. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to be a show that lives or dies by just letting the creators go in with a vision and stick to it and be able to really capture the spirit of the comics and why they are, are 
I mean, it, it really is one of the best series I'm reading right now. It, it's very unique, I and it has just such a wide-ranging mythology that I think you really could get a great show out of it, but only if it's approached by the right people and they are given the freedom to do things the way they want to do it. How many issues does it have? Uh, I think they're about 26, 27 issues in right now. It's either going to run about 50 issues total or 75, I forget. But the, the material's there for multiple seasons. And if it starts in the fall, you know, they'll, they'll be well over halfway through the series by the time the show starts. So you won't have oh, Game yeah. of Thrones worries? Yeah, and it's, it's not like there, there are any delays with this series. Like, they, these guys put this book out at a good clip, so I don't think they would have any kind of problems in that area. Okay. Um, uh, let me just toss in one other quick comic story right now. Um, so coming out, uh, this week, so that would be, uh, Wednesday, um, 30th. Yeah. Yeah. Wednesday the 30th. Uh, the, the most recent issue of a series that Jordan and I both love very, very much Hawkeye, uh, written by Matt Fraction, uh, is coming, is going to ship in stores. It's going to be on Comixology. This is, it's a little late, but this is basically Matt Fraction's Hurricane Sandy issue. It features basically Hawkeye, what he was doing when Hurricane Sandy hit New York. And all of the, all of the proceeds that he earns from this book, he's just going to donate right to the Red Cross for Hurricane Sandy relief. So it's, it's both an amazing comic, a great place to jump on, and also something nice you can do to help victims of Hurricane Sandy. So if you were ever curious about the book that Jordan and I, I think, rave the most about. This is a great time to check it out, um, and you'll be doing a good thing. Yeah, it's that. it's a great so. book. It's a lot of fun. It's smart. Um, and, hey, if you buy it this week, people who were affected by Hurricane Sandy will get some help. So it's a great time to jump on, and if you're not reading the book, even if you're not reading any comic right now, if you were to pick up Hawkeye, that might be the one, uh, you know, one way t- as a gateway into comics, and it's definitely a book worth your time. Oh, yeah. So... I, I, even if you're not a fan of superheroes in general, it, it really isn't a superhero comic per se. It's uh, Hawkeye's for everybody. Yeah. It's yeah, it's I, it's not too superhero-y. It's it's pretty much ground level. It's pretty much just wacky adventures in the life of Hawkeye, uh, and it's a lot of fun. So, I mean, Chris and I will probably talk about every once in a while when we do comic segments how much Hawkeye is a pretty great book, um, and one of our favorite books that's coming out right now. So, jump on the bandwagon yeah. and do it at the time where you'll actually be helping people. Other than yourself, by doing it. Other than yourself and Matt Fraction, I guess. <laughs> cool. Um, good work, Chris. That was a good thing to bring up. Um, now, why don't we turn over to Alex, who's getting us a little bit of a Sundance rundown. <clears throat> yes, I am. Uh, I just want to preface it by saying I wasn't there. I haven't seen any of these movies. But uh, I've been paying uh, closer attention to Sundance this year than I ever have before. And uh, these are the movies that kind of jumped out at me as something that uh, you want to keep an eye on your local theater for or your local uh, instant streaming because that's where a lot of this stuff will probably end up when it's all said and done. So I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, Jobs, this movie about Steve Jobs starring Ashton Kutcher premiered at Sundance. Don't watch it. I hear it's really bad. I just want to get that one out of the way. The rest of these are upbeat kind of. But um, I hear it's really bad. Steve Wozniak said that they didn't depict anything like properly. And then the producer of the film issued a statement that was like, well, it's not a documentary. It's not word for word. 
of course it's different because it's an entertainment value thing. But from what I hear, it doesn't have much of that. Um, let's see here. Don John's addiction is uh, one that's kind of divisive, I think, uh, from what I understand. It's Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's first directorial debut. Yeah. So, uh... Oh, interesting. It's, it's just about a, like, porn-addicted guy. Uh, and I hear that it's depiction of women. I hear it's, yeah, I've, I've been sort of following as well. Um, so, and I hear that it's not all that great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because I find uh, JGL as an interesting presence in Hollywood. So that's the only reason I want to actually commit to watching it. Because I feel like if he's going to become a director and try to go that route, then it's uh, going to be a career path worth following. Let's see here. Next, I've got uh, Before Midnight. Now, I've never seen any of the Before trilogy. Uh but I hear this is fantastic, just like the other two movies were. So I'm going to definitely get around to watching all three of those at some point soon. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in right now because I have seen both. And I am, like, ecstatically excited for Before Midnight. Um, both Before Sunrise and Before Sunset are just great movies. And when you see Before Sunrise, you'll think there's no way they should ever have done a sequel. Like, that's insane. The movie is too good. There's no way they're going to do it. And then Before Sunset is... At, at its worst, as good, quite possibly better. Um, and I've been hearing great things about Before Midnight as well. So if you haven't seen the movies, go check them out because this is going to be a great from what I'm hearing, and I'll definitely be seeing it when it comes out. Absolutely. Uh, the next one I have up is a movie called The Spectacular Now. It's about uh, some high school kids, and there's a sex scene. Someone loses their virginity. It's one of those kind of comma comedies, like dramedies but um i heard that it's a solid movie it's really like heartwarming and heartfelt uh so that's one to keep an eye out for if uh you know you got a date sometime or something um kill your darlings is an interesting movie starring daniel radcliffe uh dane dehan from chronicle and uh recently lincoln shortly though in lincoln uh and elizabeth olsen's in it too uh it's about Allen Ginsberg, Jack Crook, and William Burroughs. And uh, let's see, our murder draws them together. Great poets, etc. Um, but just really, really great performances here, especially from Dane DeHaan, from what I've read. Uh, he's definitely going to be someone to watch. He kind of popped up in Chronicle, and Chronicle, I think, gets uh, has been overlooked from last year. I think more people should go search that out it's an interesting superhero movie an interesting found footage film and uh it feels really really fresh and even though it uses all these different elements that you've seen before okay moving on there's a a chilean director named sebastian silva who teamed up with michael Sarah to make two movies uh michael Sarah's kind of trying to get out of his i'm a michael Sarah." character rut i think that's gonna be tough him being michael Sarah. yeah so that's why that's why i went over to chile and uh made these two movies one crystal fairy which is kind of a trippy they have to find this cactus that makes like a crazy amazing drug or something and uh it's supposed to be really trippy kind of funny see now i'm just picturing like the michael Sarah character like out in the desert looking for drugs yeah, so yeah. I hope this works for him. 
yeah, you know, it, it could be interesting. It could be, yeah. I don't know. It'll be an interesting turn in his career that either makes, that either does get him out of his uh, rut of being Michael Sarah, or he's going to keep being Michael Sarah for the rest of his career. And then the other movie, Magic Magic, is kind of the exact opposite of that, where it's uh, about a girl who's like paranoid and has mental breakdowns, and they just just put it right on the screen for you to see and makes you extremely uncomfortable. Um, basically, that's what I heard. The takeaway was from it was that it was a very uncomfortable <laughs> movie to watch. I've got Toys House. I'm not really sure what that's about. Uh, I heard it was really good, though. So, you know, that's where right. this is ending up. Mystery. Uh, I got five more movies trying to decide what order to tell you about them. And these next three movies, I figured out my top 10 movies I'm looking forward to in 2013. And these next three yeah. are on it. So. Okay. SVHS is the sequel to the horror movie VHS, which I loved from last year. It's one of the best horror movies that's come out in the past decade or so. I see, I'd say uh, it's found footage, which is another kind of point bump for me. But um, SVHS, I heard, is just everything bigger and better and more crazy than the original. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Uh, Upstream Color is the new movie from Shane Carruth, who did Primer. Which, if you've seen Primer, it's in a crazy, <laughs> very straightforward, played no laughs straight, for straight uh, time travel movie. That was really, really good. And so Upstream Color seems to kind of keep going in his direction of making kind of offbeat science fiction movies that are kind of strange. Uh, I heard divisive things about it, but the more... Yeah, yeah. You go in... Um, you, I heard watching it isn't that great, but thinking about it is amazing. Like, that's where the fun comes in. It's just trying to process what the hell happened in it. So I'm really looking forward to that. And one of my favorite directors working right now is Chan Wook Park. He's done only, like, Korean films. He did Old Boy, which is being remade by Spike Lee right now for some reason. Uh, he did Lady Vengeance, which is great. Thirst is great. But anywho, he's coming out with his first English-language film called Stoker, starring uh, Nicole Kidman. And I'm really, really looking forward to this. He has an amazing uh, sense of just blocking and how to set up shots and just making the movies look amazing and gorgeous. I did hear that this one kind of left pe some people cold. Some people really liked it, but I know that I'm going to enjoy it just because of the pedigree of the director. The next movie is Fruitvale. This is probably the... This has won the Sundance's Grand Jury Prize, so everyone's raving about this movie, how amazing it is. Um, you really, really want to look out for this one, Fruitvale. And the last one is this really, really interesting movie, because, uh, and this is why people say they like going to Sundance, you'll see movies there that might not ever get released. It's called Escape from Tomorrow, and it was filmed entirely in Disney World, but all guerrilla style with no permissions so there's actually like a lawsuit going on or like kind of heating up <laughs> i heard about right this now. movie yeah there's a chance it'll never be released yep i mean if it's not released then it'll get leaked on BitTorrent or something you'll be able to see it some huh. way online which is how everyone views all of their movies yeah pretty much if we're honest here 
Basically, it's just so that this director, Randy Moore, it's kind of like his calling card now. He did this crazy thing that, uh, from what I've heard, takes is actually really, really well done. And uh, so he's going to probably be getting more work from this and making this uh, big leap, but it'll be worth it. Uh, so check that one out, too. And that is my Sundance rundown. You didn't, so I'll, I'll shout out um, Thomas Lennon and uh, Ben Garantz, uh, both of the state fame. And also both writers of uh, Night at the Museum, strangely enough, but that's kind of their side job. Uh, released the way that a lot of other exorcism type of parody movies seem to have gone. Um, and I've heard a lot of great things about it. And basically, whenever Thomas Lennon and Ben Grant get to do something that they want to do, uh, see also Reno 911. Um, it's been awesome. So when Hell Baby comes out, hopefully eventually, I will definitely be there. Um, that... That's all. That's all I I got because you covered everything else I wanted to talk about. But also, Hell Baby. <laughs> um, I so there is some some Sundance to look forward to for you guys. We're gonna <laughs> move on now and play a little game of pop culture. Never have yeah, I ever. I didn't heard uh, of it. Those of you to uh, play a little game of Never Have I Ever at basically admitting three things that they have not done. in pop culture that um, they are probably sure that at least one other person has done on, on the show, I think, is the way we've played it before. Um, basically, it's an excuse for us to say, like, look, this is a thing I should have done in pop culture that I haven't done, and for everyone else to either yell at you or say, hey, I haven't done it either. Um, so that's, that's what we're going to do here. I am going to do it this week. So I have three things prepared, and you can all yell at me mm. for not liking them or for not having done them. It's not that I don't like them. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, so you can all yell at me. You can all say, I also haven't done that. Or you can say, well, that's understandable, but you should do it. Um, we're going to start with, I think, my biggest... I like to think we're all understanding people. <laughs> really? I thought this whole segment was based around shaming. Public shaming. I mean, it's yeah, based okay. around Let's how, depending on, depending on the makeup of the podcast, sometimes it's based on public shaming. Sometimes it's based on going, hey, this is a good reason to check that out. Either way... I think I'm right. going gonna, gonna to shame. I'm sure you're going to shame, yeah. Sam. That doesn't surprise me at all. Especially my first one, which, Sam, I know you know about, um... But it's something I should have rectified at this point, being the big pop culture fan that I am, and I haven't. So oh, never, have I, never have I ever seen the film Alien. Jordan, really? you are an asshole and a worthless human being. And not being. only have I not seen Alien, I have not seen any Alien movie excepting Prometheus last summer, which is only kind of an Alien movie. This podcast is over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jordan, you are a piece of human garbage. It is, it's a huge... Uh, pop culture blind spot for me, and one that I want to rectify, but I haven't done it yet. Um, it's, so. it's one of those Seriously, pop culture Jordan, blind spots okay. that is so influential. You're going to watch it and go, "I don't get the, I don't get it," because it's so influential. It's permeated everything, so it's going to all look like other things, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I've never had that problem where I, where I watch something and I go, "Well, other people did this later and ripped it off, so I can't enjoy the original." I mean, it was just this is a really bad example. Don't like. <laughs> get, dig too dig too deep into this, but this is what John Carter's problem was partially because it's such an archetype story that so many other things copied it. Everyone was just like, "eh, it's the same thing." Uh, I think so John Carter had other problems. Um, I like, yeah, like John I said. Let, like I said, let's did. not dig too yeah. deep into it. But <laughs> yeah, but no, I understand that. But I, I mean, if, if it's done well, and from everything I hear, Alien and Aliens are done very well, and then the other two uh, are not. They're worth it. They're worth watching. 
Well, sorry. A- Aliens geez. 3 especially is worth watching. Uh, Alien Resurrection is still kind of weird, but I mean, at that point, you're kind of, you know. Which is the one with Winona Ryder as the robot? That's Joss's, right? Yeah, that's 4. That's the Resurrection. Yeah, but from everything I've heard, Joss's script got just, like, butchered, so... Yeah, but it's weird because the director that was behind it is a solid director. Uh, he did City of Lost Children and I, I think Amelie. Amelie? Yeah. Amelie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Amelie. He, he's but, done uh, great things. I mean, things, the director but... doesn't really have anything to do with, I mean, with how other the people turns can out. come in. The, the studio can come in and just hack up the script. I'm not sure how much the director. Yeah. Well, really I, yeah, I hear that there were a lot um, of problems with that. I, have I don't the know qu- a whole lot about it because obviously I haven't seen any of the movies, so I haven't paid too much attention to what the fourth film in the franchise had going on with it. But that's... Uh, I saw the uh, a collection of all of the Alien movies on Blu-ray recently that I plan to pick up soon. Um, hopefully it was that'll... like 18 bucks on Amazon a while ago. It was great. I picked it up and I'm working my way through the special features now. Yeah, hopefully, so. hopefully picking that up will inspire me to finally fill this blind hole. But that is my first. Uh, I haven't seen Alien. So, <laughs> listening at home, mock, or if you haven't seen it, Maybe you can watch it and we'll talk about it sometime on the podcast. We're never going to talk about it on the podcast. We can talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about aliens. Yeah, I'll talk you about, aliens about alien. Let's talk about alien. Well, maybe we will someday. Maybe we'll do a, a movie club on it and that'll force me to watch it. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm going to move on. So that was my that was my film, Never Have I Ever. Uh, here's a music one that I don't think I'll be alone on. And I don't even think it's that big a deal. But I think it sounds like a bigger deal than it is. And I decided I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, so never have I ever listened to an Elvis Presley album. I know some of his songs. I've heard some of his songs, but I've never sat down and actually listened to an album released by Elvis Presley. Has anyone yeah, on the podcast? Neither. I'm not sure. You really need to. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no one has, right? I'm, I'm not alone on this. No. No. Not like a full album. No. And I don't. Not yeah. I don't. I don't feel like bad, bad about that. I don't think it's something I'll ever probably rectify. I mean, maybe someday, but. I'm not rushing to do it, but I, it, doesn't it seem like something that might be that maybe should be a big deal? Like if I came on and said I'd never heard a Beatles album, that would be a big deal. I yeah. feel like we moved past Presley. I feel like like 20, 30 years ago, maybe that'd be a big deal, but now, I mean, do kids even know who that is? Um, yes, I think on some level you'd still be aware. I mean, the the Elvis Presley impersonator is still kind of like a staple of. Yeah, I mean, the at least the tell face media and the image parties, yeah. are very iconic, and I know that. But, I mean, how often do you hear songs even now? And I think it's still a pretty ain't big nothing deal. but a hound dog is the only one I could yeah. think of. Um, Blue oh, Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. that remix has kept it alive. It's really the remix that everybody... Yeah, see, so he's still part of the conversation, but I don't think... You know, Elvis is. Everybody knows who Elvis is. Yeah. All right. Finally, uh, and this is one I know at least Chris will be upset about. Next. Um, never have I ever seen an episode of Deadwood. Uh, me neither. Me neither, but I'm getting there. Someday. I'm getting yeah, there. it's on my list. i got to finish The Sopranos first, and then I'll be oh, yeah. about that. That might be my follow-up um, uh, pop culture day. Well, if we ever get to we... Sandman, which you guys have to finish reading first, yeah. um, so much we'll get to Loved it. It was my one of my top five shows of the That might be mine. Dane to so that makes me even more excited about it, and and sort of makes me want to save it even more because it's like it's something out there that I know I'm going to love. Do you really wish that we wish that we cared about horses dying less, or that horses on the show were treated better? <laughs> I, well, obviously, I'd prefer the show not to be killing horses. But <laughs> let's be realistic. Here. I think we take anything need from to this. die for good television to get made. <laughs> 
If we could take anything from this, it's Jordan hates horses and wishes they would all die. Please direct your letters to Jordan Ferguson. So far, this episode has alienated both uh, YouTube musicians and people who love horses. We're doing great, guys. So, our entire listening base. Uh, Jordan. Most of our listeners actually have YouTube songs about horses, so... We're screwed. Jordan, quick uh, quick questions for you. First, uh, a little bit of off-topic. Um, I have not actually seen Luck, given that it was canceled so prematurely. I, I mean, I love Deadwood. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Is it worth checking out in the sense of, is the disappointment I will experience when it ends abruptly abruptly worth the enjoyment I will get from watching it? Yes, because it doesn't do... It's not a huge cliffhanger ending, for one thing, which is one of the most annoying things you can get. Okay. Um, it does, like, the the end of season one does clearly set up a lot of season two stuff, um, including the fact that yeah. this, is, this isn't a spoiler, um, but Michael Gambon, who was on the show in season one, was going to be uh, a regular in season two. Um, okay. So that, like, that's disappointing because his character is great. Obviously, he's a great actor, and he was going to be a regular, so that sucks. But otherwise, basically, it's it's only nine episodes, season one. And basically, when I watched the pilot, it was so good that I thought, like, I, I seriously wished that I had not discovered the show until it was several seasons gone so I could marathon through it because I was, like, immediately in love with the show. And every week thereafter, I, there's not a bad episode in the nine. Um, and there are three episodes that were so good that they were all in consideration for our best episodes of, of 2012 list. So, yeah, and... I was able to watch it, so obviously they had no chance of making it. Uh, Kind is amazing in it. Um, The writing is fantastic. Michael Mann directs the pilot, and it's gorgeous. Um, And really, I appreciated Horses more while watching that show than I ever have before. I ever will again. But it done some good otherwise. (laughs) So it almost changed you in your bloodlust for horses that normally assumes you're... Those letters for Jordan Ferguson... My my bloodlust for horses. No, I don't. I don't want the horses to you, die. But I liked the show enough that I cared yeah, a little bit Jordan, less about Jordan dead horses. Jordan needs the horses to die. <laughs> I can't climax unless a dead horse. Is that around. was my theory about what was going on over there. Is that Nulty was just into some weird shit nowadays, and you know, horses no, would just turn uh, up dead. You saw the Godfather. What was way going too on early. is they. You know, every episode involved a horse race at some yeah. point. They couldn't race horses that were doing horse races because you're not gonna. If you're making a lot of money racing your horse, you're not gonna make less money to have it race on television, yeah. On set of a show and like, you know, risk injury. So they were using retired horse races, or, you know, horses um, who who had been put out to pasture, quote unquote, and they were old and they weren't, you know, as as able to do the physical aspects of the of the shooting, so the horses ended up getting hurt. Um, and it's I it's actually really upsetting despite my joking cavalier attitude. Um, and it sucks. I wish it hadn't yeah. happened. And they tried, you know, it happened three times, and each time they upped, you know, they had PETA on set, they upped their uh, safety precautions, and it became obvious that <laughs> it, they literally could not figure out a way to shoot it that wouldn't risk the horses, horses being injured. They're like, we just have to show. kill these fucking horses. <laughs> Couldn't they have called somebody from, like, Seabiscuit or the Secretariat movies and gone, guys, no, how do you guys kind of do a horse racing thing and not kill all of your horses? There must be a way. Well, I think... I think Secretariat I think was just better movies... at hiding the corpses, probably. That, maybe. But also, I think it's easier to do it on a movie where you might have to shoot one or two races. Every episode of Luck 
um, involved a horse race. Like every single one had a horse race set piece in it. Yeah, but but and they were but all... the point. But the but the thing is, if like if you can do it once without problems, you should always be able to do it without problems. I think. Well, that's that. I mean, that's just not how it works. The horses are old, right? So you do it one, and especially you know, you get multiple takes of one time every time. And if you do it with old horses, the probably roughly thirty or forty times they had to stage it to get the nine episodes done you're probably going to have one or two times where an accident happens. And oftentimes when horses are injured the way they are injured in races, you have to put them down. Like, that's just the way it works. So I think the odds just were against them, and that's why they ended up canceling the show. But I'm really depressed about it, and I miss it. I think it would have been forgiven if they found a less realistic way to do the races. Wouldn't you rather have less realistic races and the show be on for five years? I would, yes, but they wouldn't. Uh, and if you watch the show, Sam, you might see why, because the horse racing sequences are gorgeous, and I don't know if they would be able to do it in a way that that didn't involve actually running the horses. All right. Uh, but I don't know that much about horse physiology, um, so I mean, maybe they <laughs> All you know about horses is you want them dead. <laughs> That's Jordan's spinoff <laughs> podcast that will be coming later this month. How, how much I hate I the horses. Really, I don't really want horses dead, guys. I just like good art and not... That's All fine. You just think good art is murdering a horse much. For, for blood sacrifice. <laughs> no, I don't want... You're like one of these weird performance artists who just like I shoots just... a horse in the head and like art. Yes, I think that's fine. Let's shoot horses oh, in the let's head. Let's take that out of context. Apparently that's, Daniel, that's what we're all this? learning from my I liked the show luck is that I want horses to Daniel, die. Daniel, who's editing this? this whole I, I hope Daniel just into. cuts out everything in the podcast so all that we hear in the podcast is Jordan going, I hope horses die. I want to shoot horses in the head with zero context. Yeah, Daniel's going to edit the shit out of this podcast so that I can never, you know, show my face in public again. And it will just, it'll be, when it's released, it's like five minutes long. And it's like, hey, welcome to the Read podcast. I want horses to die. And everyone's like, Jordan, why do you want horses to die? And I'm like, because I hate horses. And then I think this could be very, uh, very well edited, Daniel. And there's a 20 yeah. in it for you if you do it. Well, moving back um, to Deadwood for a minute, um, I, I, I would say I'm very surprised that you haven't gotten to it yet, like knowing how big a fan of Westerns you are, uh, because I think it was not only one of the best shows that's ever been on television, but probably the best Western that TV has ever done. And in a lot of ways, uh, I think better than many Western movies I've seen. It is really one of what, for me, one of my quintessential interpretations of that genre. So I'm excited for you to get to it. I think you should do it soon because it's a great show and you are going to love it. I, I will um, do it soon. And the reason it's not, I'm not putting it off because of anything you just, you know, because I don't believe any of the things you just said. I'm putting it off for the exact opposite reason because I know that it will probably become one of my favorite TV shows. And I kind of like the idea that I have something that awesome out there waiting for me. I do that. I do that too. If I hit a a dry spot. So I understand that completely. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of perverse incentives. And then it's like, I know that it's so good that I don't want to watch it. Um, Just because once I do, it'll be over. (laughs) So, but I will, I will watch it someday. And that's something we very well may return to on the podcast as well. So this has been Pop Culture Never Have I Ever. Next time this segment arises, it'll be another staffer coming up with some uh, some pop culture confessions. Uh, for now, we're going to turn over to uh, uh, the biggest news story of the week. And I think, Sam, why don't we start off with you on this and talk a little bit about the announcement that J.J. Abrams is probably going to be directing Star Wars episodes. Well, I think it's been pretty probably. much confirmed at this point. It is uh, very it's... confirmed. Well, it hasn't been confirmed by Disney or Abrams. Uh, right? No, I think it has. Disney released. Disney I think released Disney did confirm press it. statement. 
Okay, I last last I'd read it was like all but confirmed, but had not. Yeah, been I think it's well, it's Brilliant. nailed down now, and I'm curious. I'm curious to hear everyone's thoughts. Yes. Oh, I like the background, the the newsy background. Um, <laughs> I, I think personally, I think J.J. Abrams is fine, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't have picked him. Um, and I was looking earlier. People should read um, Alyssa Rosenberg. Uh, who writes for Slate and Think Progress? She wrote a really good uh, kind of column about how we shouldn't be having, we shouldn't have someone like J.J. Abrams just monopolize sci-fi. Like, I mean, right after, right after, right after J.J. Abrams got Star Wars, he also got like another television show that he's going to showrun or whatever. And I think, I think it's a good point that we need like another perspective on this. We don't need. JJ, like it's it's too big of a, uh, uh, I guess a blanket over sci-fi, and I, I kind of agree with that. I want I want another vision for Star Wars because he's already doing Star Trek, and that's fine. And I really liked uh, the his first Star Trek movie, and I'm excited about his next one. But at the same time, I'm like, can't we mix it up a little bit here? I mean, and also J.J. Uh, Abrams is fine, but from what I can tell, he's more of a showrunner. Like he's better at being a producer than a director per se. I don't, I was taught, I was thinking out loud on Facebook. I don't know if I can really call JJ Abrams an auteur. I think he's like a good director version of Chris Columbus in that I don't see a particular style out of him. I think he makes better movies than Chris Columbus, but he's kind of just, he's kind of workmanlike. He kind of just cranks it out. And what I'm more excited about with Star Wars is like JJ Abrams. Why is that? I wish there were more workman like directors like J.J. Abrams. I think J.J. I could just turn out these amazing movies because I yeah, but I, I think kind of disagree. They're more based. I think they're more based on script. I think what's going to make this Star Wars movie good is that Michael Arndt is writing it, and not that J.J. Abrams is directing it. I mean, all I would not call J.J. Abrams one of the script. ten best directors in Hollywood right now. I just wouldn't. He makes good, really good blockbuster movies, and I think it it lends itself more on. On writing, honestly. Um, I, I mean, I have to agree with you, Sam, but I actually, I may be even further on the Abrams is not that impressive to me side of things. Um, I, I loved the original Star Trek. Like, I thought that was a great summer blockbuster movie. Um, I, I'm excited for the next one, even though I think we might have talked about this before, but I don't like how dark the trailer looks because a lot of what I liked about the first movie was how fun it was. But, we'll, you know, I'm still excited to see that. But other than that, you know, Mission Impossible 3 was fine. Didn't do a whole lot for me. But here, um, here's, here's the thing. It was also his first You know, people talk, about, t- people talk about J.J. Abrams as one of the top directors in Hollywood. Let me tell you, let me run down the things he's directed. He's directed two episodes of Felicity. He has directed two episodes of Lost, the pilot. He's directed five episodes of Alias, Mission Impossible 3, an episode of The Office, uh, Anatomy of Hope, which sounds like it was a TV movie it's listed as. Star Trek, which was great. Undercovers, a TV series pilot that didn't go anywhere. Super 8, which was a Spielberg knockoff. It was fine, uh, to fine to good. And that's it. Where he, people see that he produces everything. So I think there's like this, this mystery that he's greater than he is. Because his, his production credits are endless. Huge. yeah. But he is not a great, like he is not this great, genius director people he didn't even direct cloverfield and i think everyone just thinks he directed cloverfield 
he I he hasn't really directed so. that much, and he and he's directed mostly TV and not that much TV. He's really a producer who's directed you know the pilots of his shows. And also, I think, um, and this is this is actually a different conversation. So never mind, I'll save that for a minute. But Alex, I know you're a bigger fan of Abrams, so I'll give you a minute to rebut Sam's uh, not a big fan of Abrams rant. Well, I mean, I think the big thing that he does in uh, the movies he's directed, all be it the few of them. Uh, maybe with the exception of Mr. Impossible 3. We can, okay. That was his first go, you know, getting his feet. That's super eight, yeah. Um, but he, yeah, Star Trek, Mr. Yeah. Impossible 3, and uh, Super 8, to my knowledge. Super 8. Um, <clears throat> and I think one thing he does in, that, in those movies is give really good characters. He portrays characters really well, and uh, within a movie that's a action blockbuster framework better yeah, than Yeah, I'd argue that's more of a, a subject of that's more due to the writing. Yeah, but that's fine. All Yeah, I was just director movies style. start at the script. I mean Yeah, but we're talking about him as a director. <laughs> right, but that then you can I don't think you can give credit for that to Abrams if like he he directed some good scripts. Why can't you? Why can't you <laughs> Because that has nothing to do with his talent as a director. Well, I mean, you've had you can see good scripts that go wrong. I mean, that's true. I'm not saying J.J. Abrams is a bad director. I'm just saying he is a competent director who has done, he's done, I mean, I like Super 8. And he wrote Super 8. But I kind of felt like it was this, no, I, I, I just, I think it was like, it was fine. It looked like a Spielberg knockoff. And the and script we need was more kind of, of a Spielberg knockoff. We need more knockoff. Spielberg knockoffs that are that true I don't want more Spielberg knockoffs. It's so not a feeling? great vision, and it's not what I want for Star Wars. I'd like something different. We're and that we're going to just Star give, him every, we're gonna give him every sci-fi franchise because of his name. And we're really giving it because of his production credits. Let's be real. He doesn't have the track record. I mean, really what it is. Like, a lot of what I, I don't think, I think he even has, um, if I knew for a second, I don't even know if I would say he has a track record. Um... And Sam, he you, has a track have, record. I mean, he, a... I mean, you can't. I, I, I'm not going to ignore the fact that he. I mean, he's directed a lot of stuff, and he's directed a bunch of television. Well, but but he's not. He doesn't have like a, a huge film. Like when we talk uh, about film. when we talk about auteurism, um, we usually need to look at a larger body of body. Of I don't work think Star Wars needs an auteur. Well, that's a different. I, I actually I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think yeah. Star Wars needs an auteur either. I would and just I, like someone who isn't J.J. Abrams directing another big sci-fi franchise. Why do we need him to do both Star Trek and Star Wars? I don't think we need him. Here's I think why. He Here's why. Just... Because it's safe. Okay. That's basically why they chose him. Yes. It was. It's a good. Exactly. It's a good decision because he's. I it, think he will do interesting things with it. Uh, but it is basically a safe uh, choice. It is a safe choice. I mean, that's exactly why. Yeah, I think we can all agree that it's a safe choice. But I also think he's a safe choice because he's very workmanlike. He doesn't have a style. What is his style? What is his style? I mean, he is a safe choice because you know he's not going to be Alfonso Cuaron with Harry Potter. I mean, he's not going to upset anybody. He's going to do right by the characters. But that's the writing thing. Again, Michael Orange doesn't do well or not do well by the characters. Abrams as a director doesn't really have. I mean, he can he can somewhat affect it, but really, what the how the characters are developed is going to come down to the script. And J.J. Abrams will have nothing to do with the script that we have, that we know of. Of course, he will. He'll have input on the script. I'm sure he'll have input on the script. I'm just saying that J.J. Abrams is not the inspired choice that I think some people think he is. I think he's just safe, and I think he's kind of workmanlike. 
He's like, and he's kind of like, he, he doesn't, none of his movies wow me. They don't. I think, I think Star Trek was really good. And when I saw Star Trek, when I was leaving Star Trek, I think with Jordan, I said, that was the best television pilot I've ever seen. And I completely because agree. Because that, that's what it was. It <laughs> was a really good television episode. And that's how I think about the movie to this day is like, when I watched that movie, I was like, I want to tune in next week. You know, if it had been, if it had been, if you'd taken some of the set pieces out of that and made it a two hour television pilot, it would be one of the best pilots I've ever seen. And I would be watching that show happily today. Um, But I want to move away from the question of whether J.J. Abrams is uh, a good enough director for this, because I think we all agree he's a safe choice and he probably won't fuck up the franchise. Um, whether or not we agree about the level of input he's likely to have in the character development. But I'd like to move on and ask the, the question I think Sam has hinted at and talk about for a minute whether we find it problematic that J.J. Abrams is now heading up both Star Trek and Star Wars at the same time. Um, and Alex, uh, what do you think about this? I don't think he would have taken Star Wars if he didn't see that he could do something different with it from Star Trek. I think that he... Uh, you know, saw the story and the script that they have and said, okay, this is different enough from Star Trek that, you know, I can d- deal with this. Because that's a lot of space to deal with for years on end. Uh, Chris, what do you think about this? I, I don't really see it being too much of a problem. I, I, I think, if anything, it would... I, I saw influences of Star Wars in... Uh, Abrams's Star Trek reboot. I think there was a little more action oriented, a little more um, swashbuckly than I think the original Star Trek. I've heard uh, people say that Star Trek was. felt more like a Star Wars film than a Star Trek film. Yeah, it did feel like that to me. Um, so I, I don't think it will negatively affect Star Wars. I think um, maybe people might see more of those influences in Star Trek when they have the J.J. Abrams Star Trek and Star Wars next to each other to compare to. But I don't think that kind of criticism would reflect negatively at all on Star Wars. I don't think it negatively should reflect negatively on Star Trek either. I think they are two distinct franchises. They do different things. I think they are kind of aimed at different audiences to an extent, but they are something that people who enjoy both can so I, I think they definitely can both exist under the same guy with distinct visions. I don't think it will be that much of a problem. Sam, I'm going to turn to you, and I, I assume you have slightly different feelings on this from what you've said so far. Uh, I mean, my problem with it is just I want some ver- variety here. I don't know why J.J. Abrams needs to be this monolith for sci-fi. And I, I like I like the idea I mean, of, like of different visions here for this story. Why do we need him to do both of these major franchises? Well, I don't know that we know that he's really going to be guiding the fran- beyond this film. I No, I, no, I, I would, no the facts no, about this film gonna, are that we know, know the director and the writer. I mean, we haven't seen anything about the look. We don't know the story. We, there's so much we don't know about it that it's too early to say that J.J. Abrams is taking over science fiction, even though you just argued that I'm he's not, very bland. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying I know anything about the script. I'm not saying it's going to be I would hope if bad. you knew something it about the script. It could be great. I am, arguing, I am arguing for some diversity of vision here. And I, I mean... I, I, I have I, problems But, you're, with, but you argued with, before with, that J.J. Abrams doesn't have a vision. 
Well, he has his vision, which is very workmanlike and and kind of just by the book. Uh, well, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll agree with the we don't need. Probably want to say from a workmanlike director just because it's a huge franchise that people have a lot of. I mean, at least not for this trilogy when they about. get. So that I'll, I'll give you. Yeah, and and that's what they that's what they did with Chris Columbus and Harry Potter. They got they got someone on who was not going to ruffle any feathers. Right, and I and guess what? I liked Harry Potter better when Columbus wasn't behind it. But that's really neither here nor there. Um, I have to re I have to come down on Sam's side on this, not because I I have any particular problem with J.J. Abrams though, and I and I don't really have any problem with him. Um, I just think Star Wars and Star Trek are very different properties. There's always been the the joking yeah. rivalry between the two camps. And it's just like they're both they both have such a huge space in our pop culture conception of of sci-fi and of popular sci-fi especially that it seems worrisome to me that we're giving both of them over to JJ Abrams. It's like we're giving we're giving the popular consciousness of sci-fi to one guy. Um, even though, like we've said, he's not gonna have necessarily a huge impact. But whether or not he does, it just from the from a headspace perspective and from a way that we view popular science fiction. It seems like we're giving a lot to, to J.J. Abrams, and I don't know. I, I just think if I, if I had my druthers, I would pick someone else, not from any problem I have with J.J. Abrams, just from the fact that I'd like Star Wars and Star Trek to have different guys behind them. I, just If only because for a lot of people, when they think sci-fi, it's one or both of those things. I, I think it's know, too early to have that concern, though, because I, I actually think that J.J. Abrams was maybe not the bravest choice, maybe not the most outside-the-box choice, but, like, the more I think about it, like, I I really can see it from a standpoint where I think it was he was absolutely the right choice. He... I, what Star Wars needs right now is... It needs a transition. It needs a solid transition out of the hands of Lucas and into a more public domain space where, as opposed to being one guy's... ostensibly one guy's vision, it can now be the vision of many, many different people. So you kind of need a good baton handoff and i think that jj abrams what he does best is that he can take these i think what he's proven that he can do as a director is that he can take these big franchises that have tons of story behind them years of um established uh perceptions and rapidly loyal fan bases pick out the best elements of these things and distill them and repackage them for new audiences. Mission Impossible was not the best. No, but I don't think anybody here on this podcast hated Mission Impossible 3. I could be wrong, but yeah. I, no, I think we've all said we... I don't yeah, I and, hated a single Abrams the, movie. And Star Trek, he did the same thing, only much, much better. I think Abrams is exactly the best choice Disney could make here because he has proven that he can basically walk through a landmine of ex- fan expectations and... Uh, come out the other side with everybody pretty much just very much in approval of his work. I think, but isn't that, that but isn't that like a isn't that like such a failure of art of like what movies can do? It's like that's why we're making movies. I mean, th- it, that's like a pure bottom line thing. What you just explained, you're making something so no one gets upset, no one is challenged, nothing, you know. And it at, at one point you're promising people won't be angry about Star Wars. But at the same time, I think you're um, kind of promising that no one is going to be blown away by Star Wars. I'm not saying that. I don't think I'm saying that. Like, I, I think Wars I was movie. blown away by Star Trek. Star Trek absolutely surpassed my expectations. I went in there as a Star Trek fan, hoping for something good, and I got something great. I loved Star Trek. I thought it was a phenomenal film. And I, what I'm trying to express here is that 
Star Trek, Star Wars, these things are a little bit different from other movies franchises. These have a fan base that I think this is definitely a concern. There is a rabid fan base out there that to a certain extent you need to, their expectations are just an almost insurmountable obstacle. I think once you get, once you have proven that you can not only placate these fans, but actually really please them, which I think is what Abrams does, that's why he becomes a name that is heavily considered in these conversations. I think when you Well, ha- Chris, I don't disagree with anything you've said at all. Yeah. Uh, but I also think it dodges the point that I was trying to raise, which is um, Abrams may be a good choice for Star Wars in terms of just in a, in a vacuum, you'll yeah. probably get done what Disney wants done. But we're not in a vacuum here. He's also running the Star Trek film franchise. He's at least, you know, I don't know if he's announced he's doing a third, but he's at least doing the next volume of Star Trek. Yeah. And he will at least be the face that is on the two Star Trek movies we have in the, you know, the last decade. So my question was more, it doesn't bother you at all that that we have one man behind both franchises? That's just not a problem for you? No, it, it will bother me if we have a whole trilogy, I think, from Abrams. I, I, I would like to see... Uh, maybe the next Star Wars movie directed by something else. I, I understand that point. Like I, I think I come down on the side of I I maybe was a little bit more um demeaning of Abrams in what I was saying was like I actually do think he is a a great director. I think that he is definitely the man for this job. I agree with you though, Jordan, that I could see this becoming a problem, but I only see it becoming a problem if we have two trilogies from Abrams, where it's a trilogy of Star Trek, a trilogy of Star and he gets seven, eight, nine then I think it's the entire, um, like, the huge piece of the sci-fi pie under the direction of one guy, and I can see definitely where you're coming from. However, if it's just this film, if it's episode seven, if he's the guy who kicks it off and, like, just gets the ball moving down the field, then I'm fine with it. I think we're going to get a great Star Wars film, and I think it's definitely the kind of message and... I think it will definitely set the right tone for where this franchise can move from there. I mean, it, I don't. Uh, Alex, I, have, I haven't heard from you on this uh, this point yet, and I, I assume. No, I, I mean, I don't think we're in danger of monopolizing sci-fi to be one man's vision or anything crazy like that. I mean, there's still going to be plenty of other science fiction movies coming out that play with all the you know ideas of science fiction, and I mean, if you. Let me let me tell you about another director who made two science fiction movies close together. They were Alien and Blade Runner. And yeah, those are that's, that's very completely an unfair example. It's not, the science fiction it's not comparable. Alien and Blade Runner were not... Well, Blade, a st- first of all, Blade they're, Runner's they're not a franchise. They're different science fiction properties. They were not franchises. I'm just saying, look at how different they are from one director, uh, you know? You can... He's been in the and industry much longer than J.J. Abrams. Yes, that's true. Yes. No, Altair is not about being how about how long you're in the industry. But both of those movies were original movies by him. They were not established franchises like Star Trek and Star Wars. But I'm just saying, you can have variety from one man. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree that you can have variety from one man. That's not what we're arguing. Uh, yeah, but if you if you want to tell me that Ridley Scott is is comparable to J.J. Abrams, we're gonna have a fight because I think. Ridley Scott is a much better director. Give J.J. Abrams another has much 30 more, years and we'll uh, see where stylistic his imprint. filmography's at. Yeah. Well, he's going to have a great filmography because they're going to just give him... Trust me, I'm glad I'm not going to talk about this for another 30 years. 
What remember? Let's think back to when we were talking about who we in our dream scenario who we wanted to who we thought would be cool to direct the new Star Wars movie. We were talking about guys like Ryan Johnson and Duncan Jones who do great work in in sci-fi, but at the end of the day, we knew they probably were not going to get it because they weren't J.J. Abrams safe, and that's the problem with this. You're you're going to just have. I am just arguing for variety here. If J, I, I think I'm that, not against J.J. Abrams as a director. I think he's fine. I don't hate him. I just don't like the idea that we have a big franchise. Let's just give it to someone who is kind of boringly safe. For ha- like, we know what we're going to get. We're not going to take any risks. And I don't think it's keep... boring. I think it's safe, but I don't think it's going to be boring at all. I think it's going to be agree a fantastic with you there, movie. Alex. I, I definitely agree with what you just said, Alex. And I think, but in terms of safe, I think you can, I think you will have the option for that variety. You will get risks later, but only if it there's a success this time. I mean, this is, it's, it's a precarious place the franchise is in. Yeah, a lot of people view this as a great move, like the move from Lucasfilm to Disney, new Star Wars, but it's, there's still a, big a lot of expectations there's a lot of pitfalls for failure and if you like think about it this way if there was a more risky uh choice for the first star wars film uh the director of the first star wars film if there was just like um everything we wanted out of this like somebody a really out of left field choice given like creative freedom and say that flopped then you would see like the next three or four star wars movies being the safest most benign choice of directors for like a couple years I think getting out the door one strong, showing that this franchise can switch hands and everything can be okay, really opens the door for expanding what you can do later and bringing in these more uh, inspired choices to direct future installments. I think that this next trilogy is going to be, see, this is what the Star Wars you remember. Remember how awesome it used to be? This, It's back. <laughs> That's setting yourself then, up for disappointment. <laughs> I could just... And, <laughs> And also, and the, like, after I, the, I but really, here's the thing: after the, the trilogy, I think J.J. Abrams is least likely to give me something that's going to make me anywhere near as happy as the original Star Wars was, because the original Star Wars wasn't a safe choice at the time. You weren't alive at the time. You know, Lucas, Luke, we give Lucas a lot of shit uh, for almost all of his career, honestly. But when the original Star Wars was made, it was completely out of left field. Yeah, I mean, George Lucas, he was the guy that made American Graffiti before Star Wars. Right, his movie before uh, before Star Wars was American Graffiti. Yeah, but no one was expecting Star Wars to be Star Wars then. Like it's that's the p- <laughs> yeah. That, yeah exactly. But now, but and now they are. Long that's the, now my point is they are now. Now everyone is expecting something from this. I think I see. I think the opposite. I think after the last three Star Wars movies, almost anything would be an improvement. And we already know, based on the success of Revenge of the Sith, that if you put out two really shitty Star Wars movies and then put out a third, everyone's still going to see the third movie. So I feel like. I feel like it's not that big a risk to take a risk on Star Wars because it's going to make $500 million in the box office either way. Finish this trilogy, right? Get it out of the way. Make it make it all right. Make it decent. Whatever. Make money. But then, after you finish that, their plans are to just branch and let directors do what they want with Star Wars, kind of. I'm just saying... Like, that is what I'm excited for. Because it's going to be great. Can I just make an argument here? No. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Do you know what he directed before Batman Begins? Insomnia. Is Insomnia the type of big-budget, block-busting movie that gives someone the keys to a Batman franchise? Not necessarily, but they did it. And Christopher Nolan now is top-of-the-mountain king of the world. 
if 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 people people could have gone with fucking Steven Spielberg for the next Batman series, and they're like, oh well, it's safe, and you got to protect the franchise. But they didn't. It's, they went with a guy who had made Insomnia and Memento and Following. That was it in his in, in his filmography before Batman Begins. And now every person on the planet will say Christopher Nolan was the slam dunk choice, but he wasn't. He made Insomnia before. He hadn't even made The Prestige yet. He was no. He, I mean, he was without a doubt a huge risk to take because yeah, his his best movie was a movie that almost no one saw that a lot of people liked. You know, Memento was not a. Big and you know hit. what? They could have gone. But the people that hired him probably else. saw Memento. They could have gone with a safer choice, someone who had directed big blockbusters before, and they would have known what they were going to get exactly. But they actually trusted the fact that, hey, let's try someone else who we think could be interesting. Yeah, and you're right, Alex. And People it's not probably the saw Memento, and they probably said, this guy is a good director who's going to do something interesting with Batman. And then he did. So people I, look, I definitely think so there are Captain comparisons Kennedy you can draw there. That and Insomnia, Insomnia and Memento, I mean, we know this because we've all seen these movies at this point since, like, Movie Club. Those are not big budget blockbusters. Those just aren't those type of movies. They're not sci-fi. They're not comic book. They're not action movies. They're quiet, <laughs> almost mumblecore movies. And then they gave, them, they gave them Batman Begins, and it was the biggest, biggest success that it could have possibly been. And led to The Dark Knight, which gave him his trilogy that is, you know, one of the highest grossing trilogies of all time. And that was a risk. It was a risk. It paid off. I think risks are definitely something I like to see from Hollywood in certain times. But I, I understand this. I will come back to saying that I definitely understand Oh, I understand this. it. Is, there are definitely comparisons you can draw here. But I think the important thing to remember is Batman fans are used to this being a property that is passed from hand to hand to hand. It's not the sort of thing where, like, you have the Star Wars fan base, where regardless of their relationship with Lucas, how they feel about him, it's still always been, like, synonymous. Like, Star Wars is George Lucas, and vice versa. Yeah, but Star Wars this, has been awful Yeah, I think, I think most yeah, Star Wars has. fans are going to be excited for it. But at the same Wars time... The Clone Wars is a solid, solid TV show. Yes, <laughs> I, I've heard that. Um, I, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying about why they chose J.J. Abrams. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, so He's going to do a fine job. He will do a fine job with this. Star Wars could be really, really good. I am just arguing for the sake of somebody else taking one of these movies. Oh, yeah. You're really playing devil's advocate there. How so? <laughs> That's my point. No, wait, What? You lost me. Sam is obviously playing devil's advocate by saying that J.J. Abrams shouldn't be directing it. He obviously thinks that it's going to be great, and he supports J.J. Abrams. No, that's. 100%. Well, I think I think we all think J.J. Abrams is a fine choice. All we're saying. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying like I secretly so hate J.J. Abrams. Saying that J.J. Abrams is just a bland director and he doesn't. He do is anything. a bland director, but he's made good movies. I don't think those are mutually. I, 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 I don't think, think Star Trek and Super Eight are from a bland director. I think they're from a director who knows how to present characters and knows how to present action. Yeah, knows how to pull I, emotion. I agree with you. I see, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna once again say that I don't think that 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 the character and Super Eight, which J.J. Abrams also wrote. You can give him the character credit there. No, but, but I mean, he, he did didn't write you know, the new show Star Trek you the movie. first 10 minutes of the new Star Trek movie, and 
fucking if you didn't feel anything as you watched Kurt's father die or whatever the fuck happens, I forget. But uh, if you <laughs> so clearly you felt it very strongly as well. But also, I don't think I don't think the emotional weight of that moment yeah. can be attributed yeah, to Jay Abrams. Can. Yeah, I think wholeheartedly it can. It's attributed to it's attributed to you know the that entire, cameraman really did his job, and then there was the writer, yes, he did actually. The makeup you artist, there was the makeup artist. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the special, yeah. The writer and the cameraman, the special and the effect person that fucked up that eye. Floor, and like, there are a lot of people who had to do with that moment working, and I don't think I don't that think it's, it's just not Abrams. So, like, why are we trying to? All right, could you? Could someone tell me what does a JJ Abrams movie look like? It has a lot of lens. What does a JJ Abrams movie look like? What does it feel like? I'll make that joke right now. It is fast paced. It is uh, action heavy in a way that I think. What does it look like? He puts emphasis on the characters. Like, that's not something you can look at, you know? His movies have things happen in them. (laughs) Right, like, he puts emphasis on the characters. So, like, you can see the characters that are going on in his movies. It's dark. Yes, you just actually described something that a movie looks like. Yeah, but that sounds awful. All of his movies movies look like that. Because he lights his movies darkly. That's what I really like about Christopher Nolan. No, but also if you look at Christopher Nolan, how do you movies, look at a theme? They have a thematic throughline. How can I see a theme? Whether or not he's he's working with whether or not he's working with Jonathan Nolan, who he often works with as a screenwriter. But even when Jonathan Nolan is not working with him, he still has thematic elements that you see throughout his movies. He has stylistic elements that you see. Throughout I also his think movies, he's I think directed twice as many movies as J.J. Abrams. I think J.J. Abrams is still trying to find his footing in movies. And I don't think the guy who's trying to find his isn't it though? Is necessarily isn't the guy that a risk? Want to direct Star Wars? Isn't that the yeah. risk that you want? No, no, it's J.J. Abrams is definitely not a risk. No, are you? No, I thought you were saying it would be a risk by him still finding his footing. I think is what the point that was inferred right there. No, my my point is I don't think J.J. Abrams is still finding his footing. I think if we had twice as many J.J. Abrams movies, he still wouldn't have much to show for it because I don't think he has the artistic elements that a director like I, Christopher Nolan brings to the table. I, I think he's a competent think director. That, I, I, this is conversation is just. I don't it's think ridiculous. He, I don't think like, J. J. Abrams. I, Star Trek. I don't think we can like level any real criticisms against Star Trek. Here. I don't I think, think we'd be hard pressed to, but still, we're just like. I'm not criticizing is, it either. I have not I watched Star, Star Trek. Star Trek. Bad. I like Star exactly, Trek. Exactly, but that and and now we're but in fact, we're, yeah, we've yeah, all said that we love Star Trek. Why can't we have somebody else direct the movie? I think you can, and you will. I think this one is going to be this one is going to be Abrams, and I think that's a good thing. I think Abrams is the right man for this job. He's the right person to tee this off and throw the ball down the field to. Yeah, see, I think I think he's the right man for the job. If what you want is I there do. to be another I Star, want that. Star Wars yes. movie that uh, fact, probably won't piss the whole. Lot well, there's going to be a new, another Star Wars movie regardless, yeah. because people people this is not a movie that it doesn't matter what people say about it in the media. People are going to go see it no matter what. That, and that, see, that's my biggest thing is when you know, like, I understand the idea of, of safely passing it off, but I don't think there's a safer franchise in Hollywood than Star Wars. They made three shitty Star Wars movies in a row, and all of them made hundreds of millions of dollars. Even yeah, though we George knew they were going to be shitty, we saw the same them. After. So I feel like there's, I feel like there's no safer franchise in Hollywood, in Hollywood history even, than Star Wars. So you could easily take a risk. 
and get a director who's going to do something interesting, and it would still make tons of money. Uh, after and the, if people didn't like it, the they'd still trilogy, see the next though, one. We I don't that. want a, an interesting Star Wars. I want a safe Star Wars. I want one that I know. I want one that I resent, like, you know. So, what you're, what you're saying is you don't want the next Star Wars movie to be interesting. Do that, I want like, the next Star Wars movie to, said? like, never mention Jedi? Like, no, that's not what I want. I don't want to follow, like... That's that's not what I mean when I say what? interesting as a movie. <laughs> that's not what I that's not what I mean when I'm saying interesting as a movie. I don't mean like I want a radically different vision. I just don't want it to be the I safest possible movie. I, I think that I think that Star Trek in itself was not actually very safe. I think Star Trek took a lot of risks and came out the other side not only unscathed but actually winning over a lot of people who maybe weren't Star Trek fans before. And if Abrams Back. can do that same thing for Star Wars, then I think that's all the better. <laughs> One more thing. Can I just say, um, we, I think the smartest thing George Lucas ever did Bush was not direct the next Star Wars movie, the set, uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back. He could have he could have done it, but they changed visions, and it was for the better. Yeah, he not only didn't well, direct too. it, but he didn't write it. <laughs> Lu- Lucas had, he gave story notes off, and he said... Somebody else do the movie, you know? And he was around, but he didn't write or direct Empire Strikes Back. Um, let's, so, I'm going to frame this. <laughs> we should have led with this. Clearly, there are a lot it would have been way better. We've, we've gone around the mulberry bush, so why don't, we, uh, why don't we start with you, Chris, and we'll move around. And just last thoughts on Abrams and all the controversies we've kind of uh, talked a little bit about I've here. I kind of said all I need to say. I, I come down firmly, I'm going to come down firmly on the camp of, not only do I understand the choice of Abrams, I'm excited for it. I, I'm not going to say that I'm disappointed in any way. I really think that he is going to deliver a phenomenal Star, Star Wars film. And for all the reasons previously stated about how he can take these big, massive franchises and pick out the best elements of them and repackage them for a new audience in a way that reminds you of why you love them, but also really propels these things into the future. So I think that Abrams was not only the smart choice for the job, I think he's the right choice. Um, Sam? Again, rehashing everything. AJ, I agree. JJ uh, Abrams is the smart choice and probably the right choice for Disney in terms of being safe. But I think it's a missed opportunity to maybe find someone else who can get on the big stage and do something amazing like Christopher Nolan did with Batman. I think that J.J. Right, uh, Abrams is going to make a great Star Wars movie. I think that he's a great choice. Uh, I think we're... I'm looking forward to the risky directors and the risky Star Wars movies that we see when they start pumping out a Star Wars movie once a year. But... Uh, I mean, really, if you're going to boil it down to the writers, the person that's going to do this, then, I mean, after that, you have to say, well, then it's really Kathleen Kennedy because she's the one who hires the writer. And so, really, this is, you know, I'm looking forward to Kathleen Kennedy's Star Wars. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and use a, a bit of my wrap-up to say I don't think it's the same thing to say the person that hires the writer and the writer are, are at the same level of importance in the process of making a movie, but we can disagree on that. And I'm sure we can talk about that at a different time. I would say, I think Abrams, yeah, I think we all agree he's the safe choice. Um, I, and the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about, and I think we talked about it a little bit, was the question of whether we want the same guy uh, taking such a prominent role in our two largest science fiction franchises in, 
in the world. You know, they're the, they're the two biggest and longest lasting sci-fi franchises in movies. Um, more, I think that what we're going to get is a competent Star Wars movie when what I would hope for is a great Star Wars movie. Um, and I'm not saying that J.J. James can't deliver the great Star Wars movie. I'm just saying he's not the first name on the list if I'm looking for a great Star Wars movie. That being said, he is who we've got, and I am hoping he will deliver a great movie. And maybe Star Wars is the movie that we'll look back on in 20 years and say, that's when J.J. Abrams emerged as more of an artistic figure, and that's when we started to see something actual from him. Um, as Alex has pointed out, it's early in his film career, and it wouldn't surprise me if J.J. Abrams started to d develop more of a style. So, at the end of the day, I think there are a lot of interesting things to think about. Um, I think we'll have time to go back and look at Abrams' movies and, and look forward to Star Wars, and I think it may come down to things other than who's the director behind the camera, how much we like the movie. So, with that, I think we can all wrap this up, move on, and, and quickly announce the winner of the Rachel Tardiff Memorial Award for Best Performance of the Week. Um... This week actually, you know, wasn't all that close. A lot of our news stories were more about, <laughs> were more about things that uh, that we were kind of interested in. It's Jonathan Colton, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Jonathan Colton won, right, guys? Yeah? Um, no, that's clearly that was... not true, unfortunately. Um, so I think that uh, that the, the clear winner for me, because there wasn't a clear winner, um, and looking at the votes that we've tabulated, obviously, through our very complex system, is movie fans in 2013. Uh, we got some big Paul Thomas Anderson news. Inherent Vice may or may not come out this year, but it's at least something to look forward to. And as Alex pointed out, there are a whole lot of good movies coming out of Sundance. So if you're a big movie fan, you got a lot to look forward to this year that we talked about this week. So congratulations. None of you can get a trophy this week because there are too many of you. Um, no trophy, no cash prize. We can all leave a little bit sadder as a result of that. <laughs> For now, um, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye.